morning, everybody. Good morning. I uh, I went and took a test for my driver's test here, and um, yeah, the microphone's not quite on yet. Hang on. I can use my teacher voice. How's that? Okay. Um, I went and took a test for my driver's license. And uh, they asked me this one question that just stumped me. As a, as a former mechanic, this was the hardest question on the test. They said, uh, what are the four main uh, parts of the engine? And I went, only four? Like, like what am I supposed to do with that, right? Four? Um, so if they had asked me a jet engine, you know, the intake, compression, combustion, exhaust, no problem, right? But did they mean a diesel engine? Did they mean a gas engine? Like, I, I don't know if you've like looked at an engine. I mean, is it on? Is it on now? No. How about now? No. No? No. No. We'll tell you when. Okay. I'll, I'll just keep speaking, okay? Um, I mean, you have the spark system, you know, the, the ignition system, you have the gas, you have all those different things. There we go. All right. And, uh, you know, is it the crank? Is it the block? Uh, you know, like, what are the four major parts of an engine? I, I don't know. I don't know. They didn't give me the test back to see if I flunked or not, actually. I asked them if I had. You know, did I, did I pass? They said, um, you're done. <laughs> I guess I paid enough money. So um, then, I, then I, I got my, all my results back, and I had even taken the driver's test. I don't remember it, but I did. Just it, the, the paperwork's there, so it must have happened. Okay, I, you know, like like this little bolt down here. You leave that out, you're in trouble, right? Because all the oil goes out, and and then your engine stops. So what are the four major parts of an engine? I, there's there's all kinds of little parts. And for you who don't deal with engines, you're probably going. Yeah, it just works, right? It just works. Well, we, we come to the scripture. Uh, well, here's a, so it's taken apart for you nice and orderly for those who like orderly things, right? Um, so we come to our scripture with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Sometimes we look at scriptures and we just go, what is all this about, right? And, and it's like an engine. What, like, what are the little parts that would make this work or not work, right? And so he says, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment, to bring unity, that's the purpose, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
Now the passage we're going to look at today, I think you could do months of preaching on. I mean, there's every little word, and you could just go into each word and how it just really expands and helps you understand the scriptures. But I'm a big picture guy, okay? So what we're going to do today is more of the big picture and, and give you, here's, here's how the engine works kind of thing in what it helps us do. Instead of giving you every little part and why that part is important in your Christian life. But before we get into scriptures, let's pray. God, you've given us so much. And yet, it's sometimes hard to comprehend all that's going on and what's going to happen. And so, Father, help me as I preach today that I would be able to expound on your word clearly, that it would help us live our lives here in Dhaka. God, may it be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It's really hard for us, isn't it? Because we live in time. I mean, even look at the language here. Predestined, before. It's all time issues. And yet, God, can I say before time? Is that legal? I, like, he lives outside of time, space, and matter. And so, when, when we're trying to describe him, we, we want to put him in our little time capsule. Right? And yet, before that even existed, God had this plan. And he looked at it and said, okay, I'm going to create a, a world, a universe, and, and on there, I'm going to put people. But I don't want to just put people that are going to say, yeah, we're going to praise you, God. We're just going to praise you and praise you. He said, I want people who are praising me because they want to praise me. And so to do that, you have to give them their own will. I don't know. Have you ever let children make decisions? You know, at first it's like, oh, we're not doing well here, right? And... And as they grow, it's all right. But, but God knew that we would make bad decisions. Now, I've never made bad decisions. Right. That was sarcasm for you that don't understand sarcasm. I, you know, you, you go through life and you just say, well, that was really poor. I shouldn't have done that, right? And, and God knew we would make those decisions. And not only just bad decisions, we'd make some that would go against him and sin against him. And so he decided, okay, um, I'm going to have a plan for that. I'm going to have a way that they can come back 
to me after they've made those bad decisions and sinned and gone away from me. And so um, he made this plan that Jesus Christ would come and pay for our sins. praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him we have redemption through blood through his blood the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us he said okay I'm gonna make this plan that anybody that has sinned can come back. And the plan is that, that Jesus is going to come, God himself became man, so that we could have a way back to that relationship with God. John 3.16 kind of explains the whole thing. But it's that forgiveness of sins because he shed his blood for us. Now, he's got this big plan. And then people come, and he knows what's going to happen. It's interesting, when you, when you look, if, if God is outside of time, then he can see everything that is, that is happening. Like all in one picture. Whereas we, we only see little bits because we're inside of time. And so we have these terms that people really struggle with. And I remember as a, as a young man, we'd have these huge debates over this, this next section, okay? Our, our, did God say you are the one that's going to be saved and you are not? Or is it our choice? Let me just read the verse there. So in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope so our choice in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So, what, what's that all about? Like, like, did God decide who's going to come to him and who's not? Or did he, uh, he already knew it, so it's no worth, it's not worth us choosing? Or is it our choice? Uh, well, let me do it this way. So, I don't know if you know the, the coins here, but um, the new ones, they have, you know, they have a head on it and then how we do is heads and tails right heads and tails all right so all right you ready to play this has anyone ever played that where you you flip it heads right heads and tails okay so heads i win tails you lose okay, okay. all right here we go <laughs> 
It's heads. I win. <laughs> right? That's how we kind of play it, isn't it? It's the same coin. It's looking at it from both sides. Did, did God choose us? Does he know when, who's coming to a relationship with him? Yes, he's outside of time. Do we have to make that choice? Yes, we have to make that choice. Because if we didn't make that choice, it wouldn't really be praising him. Right? It'd just be we'd ro we're robots. But he's made that plan so that we could come to him. He's given it that, that option to everyone on earth. And yet, are you the one who chooses to live your life for him? That's kind of where the verse is. It's, it's not either or. It's the same coin. It's just different sides of it. And you also were included in Christ. He's talking to the, the people who are getting this letter. He says, it's not only us who have come, but, but it's also you. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You see, when you say, yes, I understand that I am a sinner and I am separated from God, but God has a plan for me to come and how he did that was Christ, Jesus came, one of the Godhead, came, became man, and died for my sins so that I could have a relationship. And I accept that. Then he marks us with a light in us. He marks us with that Holy Spirit. It's believe. It's not just accept. I, I should make that clear. It's a belief. And a belief is something that changes how you act. You can say you believe all kinds of things, but if you don't act that belief out, it's not a true belief. For this reason... Ever since I heard your view about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You know, Paul could have, like, grumbled. He could have said, hmm, I have better theology than they do. <laughs> he could have said, you know, those people, they don't deserve it like I do. 
But instead, he's all-inclusive and says, look, I, you have come to God. And, and I love it. I, I, I want to praise God for that. And I want to pray for you that your relationship with God would grow. He's not grumbling. He has that, that attitude of, of gratitude. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. It's not that you may know Him because of your intelligence, because of your understanding. It's that you may know Him wisdom in how to act that out and how to carry that out in your life and have that relationship with God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, those set apart, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Can you imagine that? The great power that we have. I, I, I get a lot of, oh, us poor people, us, you know, like, we're trampled. We're only 0.02% of people here in Bangladesh are Christians. Uh, you know, and yet God said, no, I, I gave you power. I gave you power. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. I don't know about you, but raising people from the dead is something I do not understand. I don't understand what kind of power that would take. And yet, he says, that's the type of power I'm giving you. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all, Look at this. Far above all, rulers, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. We live in a, in a society where it's more of a power-fear balance. <clears throat> And you know this because when you meet people, they know exactly where their position in, in the society is. And they know who they have to bow to and who they can step on. And it's this power fear in the society here. And, and God is saying, no, look, I am the most powerful. And you as my son have that power. You as my daughter have that power. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, 
maybe, uh, let me try to make it a little bit more clear in, in how I understand this. And this isn't exact, but um, this is the concept that Hesselgrave gave, and, and I, I enjoy it fairly much. So most of the Asian countries, the, the uh, Eastern thought, is this way. There, there is a God somewhere up there, and there is some evil somewhere down there, okay? But, but really, we live in the material world, and there's spirits all around us. And those spirits um, actually interact in our world. Now, what we want to do then as, um, as people is say, okay, we have these spirits, and if we appease them, then they'll do good for us. They're not good or evil. The, the, the thought is that they're not good or evil. And so if we... Um, you know, put something above our, our door to appease them, then they'll give us protection in our home. If we give them bananas or flowers or whatever, we appease them, then they become good. Now, um, if we, uh, we don't want them to bother us, we put marks on our children so that they don't bother us, you know, because our children are ugly, then then the spirits don't want to get them. Uh, if we tie a string around, then they know that they can't get in there. Um, so it's, it's this whole game of, of trying to get the spirits to be good and not to be evil. They're neutral, but we, we decide how we play with them. Does, does this make sense to many of you who have lived in Asia for a while? Okay. Now, this is more of what Paul is saying. There, there's two kingdoms. Those spirits are not... This, this viewpoint probably calls them angels. Right? They're, they're not neutral. They're good or evil. And, and there's a God's kingdom, and there's a Satan's kingdom. And, and it comes to war here where we live in the material world. And, and the spiritual battle is, is there. And God says, no, look, I have paid the price that you can have the power to have a relationship with me. <coughs> Hopefully that helps somebody. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sorry. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way the picture here is a conqueror so in those days when you would conquer the king or some other land you would take the king, you would put your foot on their neck or their head, and then chop their head off. That's the picture of somebody under your feet. And that's what he's saying here. Christ has put everything under his feet. He has defeated them by what he has done. 
So praise be, and I go back to the first verse that I didn't put in there, because it, it, it just shows us the attitude that we should have had this whole time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's like an ice cream with a banana and a cherry on top. I mean, that is the best, is what he's trying to tell you. Let me kind of try to illustrate it for you in a story. How many have ever heard of Eddie Rick Rickenbacker? Eddie Rickenbacker. Anybody? Everyone's kind of some. Some of you are nodding. Yeah. Okay. He was the World One, World War One, ace for America. He shot down more of the enemy than anyone else. Uh, legally, I mean, you know, they had to have all the statistics, right? Um, so he was the one that could prove that he did, and. Um, he had a hard time getting there, but they finally let him be a pilot, and then he was a race car driver, so he says, I, I'm used to little cockpits and, and going fast. And so they let him become a, a pilot, and then he became this great ace. And afterwards, then he started Eastern Airlines, and he was more of a consultant for the military. And so one time they decided to send him to New Guinea and they, they got a B-17 airplane. He was in his 50s at this point and uh, they were taking him up to New Guinea. He was supposed to deliver a special message to uh, General Douglas MacArthur and, and he was, uh, we still don't know what the message was, but he was supposed to deliver this message. And um, he, uh, he got in the airplane, it had a failure, they put, did another airplane, and they took off, and because of the instruments, they never found the place they were supposed to land. And when you're over the ocean, that's not good. They didn't find an island, they didn't find anything. They finally had to ditch the airplane when they ran out of gas. They had put water aside, they knew they were going down. So they put water aside, they put food aside, and, and they had the life rafts. Um, and, and so they got in the life raft and you know the plane started sinking and well, they forgot the water, the supplies, they couldn't find them. And so they were here on a raft, seven or eight of them, I forget. And they kind of took an inventory. They had four oranges. That was it. No water, four oranges. So after day two, they decided to peel one orange and split it up. Day four, they did the same. 
they looked at their oranges, they were going bad, so day five and six, they split up the, the last two oranges. They haven't had food and water. Day eight, sitting in a raft in the middle of the ocean, pulled his hat over him and tried to sleep. It was cramped with all of them. And um, he kind of sort of woke up to this seagull that had landed on him. And everybody was looking because this was food. This is food at this point, right? And he calmly went up and grabbed the seagull, twisted its neck. They had food, not cooked. They even ate the bones, okay? But they had food, they took the guts, and they started fishing. And they got fish. It was 21 days before they were rescued, and the, I mean, the story is horrendous. But when Eddie Rickenbacker got back, every Friday, he would go out with a bucket of shrimp and feed the seagulls every Friday. Why? As a thankfulness that that one seagull gave its life so that he could live. God has sent his son so that you can live and live a life that is abundant. How are you thanking him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. Sinners who've gone our own way and yet you made a path for us to know you, to love you, to have a relationship with you. May we thank you daily for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.